experiencing some mold in the house. Some leaks in the roof, which have then gone on and become a bit more affected given the moisture and the humidity. After a wet and humid summer, residents of southeast Queensland have noticed a surge in the spread of mould in their properties, schools and businesses. A local doctor is seeing a concerning increase in the number of patients presenting to her with mould-related illness. And one woman was injured in a motorcycle crash on a remote Australian road. But a stroke of luck had one of the UK's top emergency doctors at the scene to respond. I have to say that I'm, I'm referred to as amongst my friends as a bit of a trauma magnet. Um, you know, I always end up on that flight where they say, is there a doctor on board? I'm Michelle Stanley and this is Australia Wide coming to you from Nalama country in Karatha. Starting on the Gold Coast where after a wet and humid summer, a local doctor is seeing a concerning increase in the number of patients presenting to her with mould-related illness. Humid conditions in southeast Queensland have created a surge in the spread of mould in households, workplaces and schools. And residents are being urged to keep an eye out for mould and to clean appropriately. Julia Andre filed this report. Some leaks in the roof, which have then gone on and become a bit more affected given the moisture and the humidity. So we're now experiencing some mould in the house. 26-year-old Luke Carnabell thought he was living the dream when he moved from Sydney to the Gold Coast. Here he bought his first house. Life was good. That was until mould crept its way into his property. That's a lot of the skirting boards of the house. And it basically comes down and starts to cover the top part of the walls. So what they've suggested to do is to cut out that section of the wall to remove as much mould as possible. The Bureau of Meteorology says humidity has been higher than average this summer on the Gold Coast. Jared Murta owns a mould removal business and has seen a sharp spike in the number of clients in recent weeks. Uh, widespread mould growth in people's homes and it's attaching itself to couches, uh, leather items, shoes, bags, school bags. For Luke, tackling the mould is a stressful cost blowout that the first homeowner didn't factor into his budget and it's not the only thing he's worried about. I do know that it can have a, uh, a negative effect on people's health, yeah. He's not the only one worried about what mould exposure can do to your health. Gold Coast GP Dr Natasha Yates is seeing an increase in patients presenting to her clinic with what she believes is mould-related illness. If we are breathing it in, it can cause some kind of reaction in our bodies and often along the lines of a, an allergic kind of reaction. Mostly what I see is people presenting with general kind of persistent cough or a runny nose or headache. But with symptoms reminiscent of a common cold or flu, it can be a challenge to diagnose patients. We don't really have clear blood tests or other investigations that we can do. But what I tend to do is suggest that they go home and have a look and see if they can clear up any obvious areas of mould. Dr Yates is one of many Australian physicians and scientists worried about the health effects of prolonged mould exposure. We've talked about the respiratory symptoms, but that's where people can start to develop um, longer term symptoms that can be a bit harder to tease out. So for 
for example, chronic headaches or, or difficulty sleeping, chronic runny nose or itchy skin. So all kinds of different ways the immune system might be starting to react against the mould. And with the World Health Organisation estimating indoor dampness could be prevalent in between 10 to 50% of Australia's indoor dwellings, she wants to see more research into mould's health impact. For Luke, he's accepted that dealing with mould is part of his new life. Being in any part of Queensland where it's a lot more humid than others, yeah, it's definitely more of an issue that I haven't had to deal with before. Julia Andre reporting there from the Gold Coast. As you heard, humidity has been higher than average in that region and it's also been hotter and wetter than usual across much of the country. According to the Bureau of Meteorology, Australia's just wrapped up its third hottest summer on record and the third wettest summer during an El Nino phase. And the hot weather isn't tipped to ease this autumn. Tyne Logan is an ABC weather reporter. Tyne, just how hot was the summer for Australians? Yes, it actually might surprise people given how wet it also was, particularly for the eastern states. But it was Australia's third warmest summer on record. And it was warmer than normal for every single state. So all states bar Victoria actually finished in the top 10 warmest summers on record. Victoria was in the top 20, but it's been it's been up there. Yeah, it's really interesting up here. I'm coming from the Pilbara and, you know, we've had sort of up to almost 50 degrees in a lot of different parts. So we can definitely feel that it's been yeah. warmer than average. <laughs> the asterisk to that is everyone in Western Australia knows how hot it's been because it's been sweltering here and unfortunately not raining either. No, and we will tell you just how hot it's been. That's one thing we're good at. But you mentioned the (laughs) rainfall. It's been a wetter than average year, but not everywhere. Yeah, so it's kind of a bit of like a tale of, you know, east versus west in a way. So it has been wetter than normal for really much of the eastern states. So just to kind of give you a bit of a visual of where the wettest areas were, uh, South Australia was pretty wet, right down to Adelaide, Victoria, pretty wet, inland New South Wales, and then, of course, um, a good chunk of um, the top end and northern Queensland, which isn't surprising given how much rainfall came from those three cyclones or two, mostly just from the two cyclones that came through um, this summer. In Western Australia, though, and in Tasmania, it has been drier than normal, particularly through the west coastal part. So we're talking Broome all the way down to southwest WA. And then in Tassie, it's it's pretty much been dry for the most part, but especially in, in the southwest. So is that expected to continue? We're, we're officially the first day of autumn today. What are we going to see over this next season? Yeah, so... The Bureau is forecasting, at least at the moment, for the next three three months, uh, with pretty high confidence that we will have warmer days and nights continuing. So no change there. When it comes to the rainfall forecast, it's not quite as clear, which I know isn't really what people want to hear, but for quite a lot of Australia, it's even odds. So some scenarios are showing it wetter than normal, some drier than normal. And that's not particularly surprising given the really big climate drivers, which do play quite a big role in those um, long-term outlooks. Then they're, they're not doing anything significant at the moment. So the Indian Ocean Dipole is 
back to neutral. El Nino starts to wane during autumn. So you're not really getting, you know, the dice loaded anyway in particular from those ones. There are a couple of parts of Australia, though, that do have maybe a a favour to be slightly drier at this stage. So that is uh, the inland New South Wales, inland Queensland, or really much of Queensland apart from Brisbane, and then most of the northern NT as well as inland Victoria or western Victoria, I should say, and eastern Tasmania. So there is like a 60 to 75% chance that those areas will be drier than normal. So I guess the answer is it depends how you like your odds. So when you look at the rainfall, we'll have to roll the dice and see what happens there. But you mentioned the, the heat. I looked at that map and, and mm. it shows, you know, the different colours as to the percentage or chance of a <laughs> higher than average, you know, and it, and it looks like most of Australia, it should be settling in for a warm autumn. Yeah. So, yeah, you're quite right. So the way these things are visualised is in this, you know, coloured chart and Almost all of Australia is the deepest maroon you can get, which means there's an 80% chance that it will have warmer nights and warmer days. There's maybe like, I think the lowest it drops down to is about a 65% chance of having warmer nights in southern Victoria. But even that, you know, it's still favoured to be warmer than normal. So I'd say at this stage, the outlooks are looking pretty confident that it will be warmer than normal. And just briefly, it is the first day of autumn, but the fire season isn't over. What's forecast for the rest of the fire season ahead? Yeah, so at this stage, most of Australia is looking like it has a, uh, you know, quote unquote, normal risk of fire. That doesn't make no risk of fire, of course. Um, Everyone in Australia who's lived through the fire season knows that even a normal risk is sometimes quite high. But there are a couple of small pockets that have an increased fire risk, thanks to um, some dry fuels and also that warmer forecast. So, that is central parts of the NT from Yulara up to Tea Tree. And then you've got this very skinny strip of coastal southwest WA stretching from Durian Bay to Albany that also has an increased fire risk this autumn. Tyne Logan, thanks for your time today. Thank you. You can read more of that story from Tyne Logan online. She's one of the weather reporters for the ABC. You're listening to ABC Australia Wide on ABC Radio. Michelle Stanley with you. Off Western Australia's Midwest coast, the Abrolhos Islands attract thousands of visitors every year. And up and down the WA coastline, small businesses offer snorkelling and fishing tours. But with the resource sector booming, more boat skippers are choosing to work in the oil and gas industry instead of marine tourism. In fact, skippers along the coast say the search for staff this season is the worst it's ever been. ABC Midwest and Wheatbelt reporter Piper Duffy has this report. Every year we've got to go through this scenario. It just wears you down bit by bit and, you know, you're looking at maybe a 15-year period. It gets harder and harder. It's Groundhog Day. Bronson Cox is a skipper for Ecoriobrolis Tours. The small marine tourism business is family-run and gives visitors the chance to explore crystal blue waters and diverse marine life on WA's north coast. 
but each year is a losing battle against the resources sector for staff. We advertise again in January and we've got some applicants come through. The Master 24 metre ME2 tickets that we require for a role, we couldn't find anyone of any calibre to drive our new uh, boat. When you get your ticket, the first thing you probably want to do is go drive a boat. But uh, we went down the same path, did reference checks, did all the interviews, get to the point where you offer them the job, and then they weigh it up and they go, oh, no, I'm getting too much money up north. So, uh, you know, that's probably happened four or five times. And then all the other applicants, just there is none. So it's quite frustrating when you're spending time uh, doing your due diligence to try and find someone suitable for the job to tell you that, they've just changed their mind when they finally get offered the job. Going back to the end of 2022 when we first bought the boat, uh, we had people lining up wanting to drive the boat, but obviously we could only uh, allow uh, two people to drive it, one to be full-time and the other to to be the relief. And we had about two or three other guys that really wanted to to drive it, but in their defence they weren't willing to hang around and wait for someone else to leave, which is fair enough. But, you know, coming into this year, there's no one that wants to drive a a really interesting boat going crayfishing and and fishing and taking passengers snorkelling. So it's just like the taps just turned off for those willing to to get out there and have a bit of a lifestyle job and and build upon their resume driving a boat. Unfortunately, Tourism Council WA CEO Evan Hall says Mr Cox's story of staff shortages isn't new. In fact, he says the issue has been ongoing for years. Tourism businesses across WA have raised staff shortages as their number one issue uh, for the past several years now, and that's only been exacerbated since we did, in fact, have the border openings post-COVID and we're getting the international tourists back and the interstate tourists back. They're far more likely to do things like tours, marine tours, uh, land tours, air tours, uh, and for that, obviously, you need the skilled staff so you can provide a a safe and fantastic service. Uh, And we are absolutely um, facing a shortfall of anything from tour guides to skippers and pilots where we've had a fair bit of migration coming in uh, to Australia and to Western Australia but most of that seems to end up in the resources uh, sector and if you are prepared to work in regional WA uh, certainly the resources sector is probably going to provide uh, higher incomes but of course I I wouldn't necessarily say it's it's a better job but uh, it is leaving us pretty short-staffed. Although the state government is investing into targeted marketing and specialised training to help skill local workers, Mr Hall says the government needs to better develop their migrant-focused programs to attract more people to marine tourism. I think for the tourism industry, uh, it's critical that the various migration programs that the federal government runs uh, to attract skilled staff are favouring, at least recognising um, regional areas, and also that they recognise particular sectors. It's it's not enough to say, though, we've brought in 100 skippers um, if they all end up in in one sector uh, or in one part of Australia. So we really do need those migration programs to be targeted to address the needs of all industries uh, and all regional areas, particularly in WA. CEO of the Tourism Council of WA, Evan Hall, ending Piper Duffy's report. I want you to meet Marita Finch now. Her story is quite terrifying because it's all too relatable. A busy mum of two, she's on her way home from work and becomes distracted for just a split second. She winds up in hospital for months with an injury that could take years to recover from 
if at all. But the Sunshine Coast woman still counts herself lucky to be alive. And that luck started moments after her horrific motorcycle accident when one of the United Kingdom's most experienced emergency doctors just happened to be one of the first on the scene. ABC Sunshine Coast reporter Jessica Ross has this story. I have to say that I'm, I'm referred to as amongst my friends as a bit of a trauma magnet. You know, I always end up on that flight where they say, is there a doctor on board? Professor Stuart Maitland-Nibb has been a pre-hospital doctor for decades, a valued member of the Helicopter Emergency Medical Service, part of the UK's international search and rescue team that responds to natural disasters, and director of the National Centre for Remote and Rural Medicine, just the sort of person you'd want in an emergency, even 15,000 kilometres from home. He couldn't escape the call of duty. I'd been in, a, in Sydney for a medical conference. A friend of mine had emigrated to Noosa a few years ago and I took the opportunity to, to come down and visit him. And on that evening, we were just popping into town for a pizza and um, we came around the corner and it was actually Adam that noticed, first of all, this, this road traffic collision, which had literally just happened as we came round the bend. Marita um, must have just fallen off the bike and was on the side of the road as we arrived. Marita Finch had been on her way home from work on her beloved Ducati motorcycle. Conditions were clear. There were no other vehicles involved. It was simply a moment's inattention that saw the experienced rider crash. I work on Hastings Street at a restaurant. I was coming home after a long day. So, you know, I start work at 6am. So I'm up at 4.30 in the morning and it was off the back of my fifth fifth morning. So, you know, I think it was just fatigue and I'd vagued out for literally a split second and it's a, a right sweeping bend and just misjudged it and, um, yeah, ended up having a catastrophic, life-changing accident. There didn't seem to be any obvious evidence of bleeding or anything that would suggest bleeding. She didn't look to have been going that fast or, you know, excessive speed. She hadn't struck anything on the way. But there was a woman in front of me that was showing signs of spinal shock, which would suggest that the spinal cord is catastrophically compromised and the messages aren't getting down to the peripheries. So I was able to identify that relatively quickly. Spinal shock can indeed kill. Marita was drifting in and out of consciousness. With the help of another woman at the scene who'd come to her aid, Professor Maitland-Nibb was able to relay to the triple O operator that this was a much more serious situation than it initially appeared. They were able to send out a critical care paramedic who incidentally worked on the UK HEMS platform, the next one down from me. So when I said where I worked, he was very aware of where I worked and I was very aware of where he had worked. So that, that was a, a really good um, part of communication communication that we were able to understand uh, where each other was coming from. It's been several months since the accident. Marita remains in hospital and is steadily regaining her strength, but it'll be a long road to recovery. You're grappling with, I mean, the physicality of it all. With the pain, like, you can't, you literally can't function unless you're managed, your pain is being managed. Like, it, it consumes you. And then there's the emotional side of it, you know, I'm potentially looking down the life of a um, life in a wheelchair, and how's that? How am I going to be a mother and a wife? And you know, it's it's an identity crisis. So you know, between those two things, it's it's a hellish existence. Yet she's still trying to remain positive. And I'm very fortunate. I have got a huge support network for my family and for myself. Up until this very day, you know, I've I've always got a constant stream of visitors and people checking in on me and. Um, 
you know, coming to see me and making sure my family's fed. It really is how long is a piece of string as to um, how long are you going to stay in hospital and how long will it take for your function to return because they just don't know. You just can't give up hope. My spinal cord isn't severed, so there is hope. There's always hope. She's hoping to find the mystery woman who held her hand and kept her calm on that night. Professor Maitland Nib returned to the UK not long after the accident, but Marita has since connected with him online and says that's helped with her recovery. I have no doubt that if it wasn't for his actions and people coming to my aid, you know, that I, I, I don't have worse injuries or that, um, yeah, that I'm not, my family's not grieving the loss of my life, for sure. Often, even in my uh, in my professional life, when I'm working, I, I, I meet patients. Quite often, I will be with them for the first hour of their catastrophic illness or injury. And then I, I never hear from them again because, I mean, why should I? They've got a huge journey in front of them. And I was just one small part of, of that journey. But this time, you know, even though I, I wasn't working, I was just going out for a pizza. It's been great to get the follow-up and, and understand what's happened to her. I mean, obviously, I wish I'd never met her. I wish, you know, this incident had never happened. But uh, the fact that it is what it is and it ha- has happened, I'm glad that we're, we're in contact and I'm sure we will remain friends for the future. Emergency doctor Stuart Maitland-Nib ending that report by Jessica Ross. Finishing on a viral video circling on social media of a saltwater crocodile eating a shark in a Queensland river, which has prompted a public warning. Wildlife officers are concerned the dead animal may have been deliberately thrown in the water and has issued a warning to people not to feed crocodiles. The video was filmed on the banks of the Fitzroy River near the Rockhampton CBD in central Queensland. Aaron Kelly has the story. Rockhampton in central Queensland may be the beef capital of Australia, but it's also croc country. The regional city is separated in two, the north side and the south side, by the mighty Fitzroy River, home to some monster reptiles. He's coming up, look at him, he's beautiful. And locals are quick to snap a photo or video on their phones when one is spotted near town. So I lived a lot of places in the U.S. and down south, you know, if you're in Florida or you're in Louisiana, um, there's gators down there and they kind of go around, but crocs are just different. Like these crocs over here, they're so wild and they're just different. Like there's obviously viral videos out there of uh, gators on golf courses and things, but yeah, I, I had a lot of chats and I was like, man, this is, this is par for the course in this country. It's the, one of the most beautiful things about this country is the, the wildlife, you know, the snakes and the spiders and the, the, the crocodiles and the, everything, you know, and this just stuff just lives around us. It's quite cool. That's Michael Marlowe, an avid croc watcher who runs a gym in the city and exercises along the banks of the CBD. He recently captured a video circling the internet of a large saltwater crocodile eating a dead shark, which has caught the attention of wildlife authorities. Kind of cruised up, and he looked like he might go away from this little canal, but then he's turned, and the video shows him kind of cruising up and eating a bull shark that you can kind of see it when you watch the video, but initially I didn't know what was going on. I just thought he was maybe beaching himself. But then he comes up and he really lets you see what he's got. Um, kind of, uh, it's kind of scary when you think about it. He doesn't look very big in the water and then all of a sudden he does look pretty big. More affectionately known as Marlowe, the Rockhampton man says he did not realise there was a shark carcass in the water or place it there. 
and was unaware crocodile sightings needed to be reported to authorities. I don't know anything about that stuff. I didn't know I was supposed to. Um, so I just posted a video because I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was quite amazing. Like I said, I've got tons of footage now um, that's happened in the last month and a half or so. Um, but, yeah, I didn't know I was supposed to. Wildlife officer Alex Peters says the video of the crocodile eating the shark is worrying and is investigating if people are feeding crocodiles to generate likes on social media. The warning comes after a string of encounters between the reptiles and humans in the last two months throughout Queensland. So it's always good to see crocodiles in the wild and we encourage the public to do the right thing. So obviously staying back from the the water's edge, um, if they have the ability to take some photos, take some photos. Um, And then obviously when it's safe to do so, to report the crocodile sighting. Marlowe has since contacted Alex and his team and reported his close encounter. This is a predator, and he, and this is his habitat. We we just live around his habitat. I don't I don't um, uh, I don't venture to say that I'd be going and trying to get a closer look to this um, this animal that is a predator and and is and is trained through thousands and thousands of years to to eat and to stalk and to hunt. Um, yeah, I mean, just listen to it. I mean, it, it sounds, you know, when you watch that video and you hear the sound, I mean, that's there's a grunt about it. It's just, it's, it's beautiful. Avid croc watcher Michael Marlowe ending that story from Rockhampton reporter Aaron Kelly. That's Australia Wide for this week. I'm Michelle Stanley. Have a great weekend.